The accounts shared on this podcast, including this episode, reflect the guest's thoughtful recollections and opinions of experiences perceived and occurring over many years, including childhood memories, which may be fallible and limited by perspective and trauma. Persons may have different memories regarding certain events. Ken, Mike, and Richard Archibald had spent a year on the other side of life. Living at an orphanage, running around a hotel in Arkansas where their mother worked, and even parenting themselves at a trailer home were beautiful seasons for the Archibald boys. Whether it was stealing Batman toys or playing soccer with a Coke can, the boys had enjoyed a time of pseudo-childhood. But now it was time to return to Margot Street, to a house under the spell of their stepmother, Helen. It was pretty bad in terms of just making fun of me for having friends and Mm -hmm. saying, you know, this is really what you're like. You're an outcast and nobody really likes you, you know. That's not... Yeah, welcome back to reality. I don't to say it, right. Yeah, Yeah, welcome back to, to what is real. And there was nothing they could do about it. With heavy hearts, they watched their father drive away in his brown truck to work on the road. And, and you know, why did we go from eating water burgers that Dad would simply just leave us money with, or um, he would always, I mean, I can remember going to that Kroger over off of Grub Street, mm-hmm. and Dad would always want those, those spreadables, those that, that, that bread, and we would just get two liters of Coke. I mean, we... Like potted meat, right? Potted meat, brother. Yes, right. Dad loved that stuff. Yeah. Uh, we would have pancakes every now and then in the morning. I mean, I can remember now we wouldn't clean up after ourselves. So there would be pancakes laying on the table all day long. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> it's dinner time. There's still some syrup. I don't know how long that pancake's been there, but I'm going to town on it, you know? And we didn't think anything about it. And uh, it was it was a good time, but um, I can just remember, why, why, why am I going from what we would have with Dad, which was good eating, normal eating for people. And now I'm back to just a, a coffee mug that she would dip into a big old thing of beans and just slide that on a, a plate. And that would be all I'd have. On this episode of Kava, the adult Archibald brothers begin to piece together the strategies their stepmother used to carry out a terrible plan in their childhood, something that no one would have ever predicted. when that it's confusing because mm-hmm. really I mean they got remarried and I think I knew that at the time because they had that little silly ceremony yeah. thing that we For the mentioned kids. Yeah. yeah but I think it was turmoil from then on like I don't mean just for us but I mean constant between them oh yeah because there oh, was okay. separation together separation okay. together which is why we lived all these different places within, because now we're in, you know, we're getting close to middle of 76. And right. There's not a whole lot of time left, and we right. had some back and forth. So, Well, I do know that uh, we were older, to your point. We had experienced the greatest fall that we had ever had, really, that I mm-hmm. can remember. Yes. 
as, as a growing kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it, it definitely being a harder pill to swallow back in that environment. Number one, I, I'm older now. Uh, so standing at the table while I'm eating, when I was younger, didn't, okay, we just don't have enough. But now as I'm older, I can say, well, you know, some other people could probably stand up. Right. Yeah, you know? and now now we're getting to where that kind of stuff started. Okay. And I don't know if it was okay. this stay or, or okay. another stay. Okay, but, but she starts separating yeah. you by food. Feeding her yes. family certain things and feeding you certain things. And there came a time, and I don't know if you were included or not, when I didn't eat, either standing up or anything, I didn't get to eat. I ate after everybody else ate, and then I would come to eat at the table. I do remember that, yes. And it was just beans, beans. like you're saying. And then back to washing the dishes and... Mike and Richard were amazed as they recalled the ways that Helen played with their minds. You know, this is the same time that that Helen... I don't remember when I heard it. I heard it from my mother, but she had heard it from Helen or something because she had sent a letter to mom or talked to mom or when mom was trying to get us when she was... She had, had said that you're not... Dad wasn't your dad. Right. You remember that? Oh, she told me that that, that there was a period where it was like a daily thing. Yeah. That, you know, he's not your real dad, Richard. Your and mom. she told your mother that. And, and then then mom told me. She, she never told you. But then it just became where Helen was just, I mean, I, don't, I can't remember ever just in casual conversation. But I know she said it to Richard and I heard it. And so I'm like, well, mom did say that she had heard Helen say that. Now Helen's actually saying it to you. That's how uh, much separation and vindictiveness that she had on us that was only going to escalate further into 77 when we get there. Because I really saw that as sort of the, I don't want to say the beginning, but mine and Mike's togetherness started Mm -hmm. She started dividing Separating you. us, right. Mm. And I think that may have been one way she was trying to okay. to do it. I mean, we still had the same mom. We knew that, right? But I, I don't know the motivation behind that. I, I, I can't even guess. So did you have any freedom to be with other, be with friends? Since you had made friends, could you go to their houses? I couldn't at that point. Okay. Were you allowed to go to anyone's house? I had a very good friend, uh, a couple actually. Um, one that that I had had from like our first, like in 1974, I had mm-hmm. met when I okay. was. His name was Joy McCown. Okay. And he would he would actually his dad was a truck driver too. Okay. And he would actually and a, and a head coach, so he would drive a truck during the summer and he coached football at Skyline. The problem was is that when we get in the summertime, right, um, the the yard work and stuff would start to pick up again, right. And you're out there at eight thirty at night. Everyone else is still kind of playing and stuff, and that, and now you're older, and you know that you're really being separated out. Yeah. And you want to go over to your friend's Joe's house or Joey's house. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I remember when they would call and ask me, "Hey, Mike, you want to go? You think you could?" Just the fear 
of having to go to hell and then ask if I can go. Yeah. Um, How would she respond to your asking? Um, first, it would be... I don't think that's going to happen. You've got this to do. You've got that to do. And it really wasn't I had that to do. It's just She's making, what she was yeah. going to first do. Like we said, hard work was just fine. But, uh, and I, I would never, like, once again, right. I, I would never do as my kids do and walk up to her and go, I know you're going to say no, but can I go spend the night? Was, can Dusty come over like Macy yeah. would say? But uh, I remember uh, I would have to really make it out as a big, big deal. Mm. As and, and she would, okay. You know, I had to show, like, true justification, mm-hmm. almost right out of business case, show the profit and loss yeah. on the situation. <laughs> and so I can remember White Lion making uh-huh. stuff up that, well, this is going to be a huge deal. Right. We're going to go. Uh, you know, I'm part of the scouts now, and we're going to go and do this. And it would just literally be spending the night with him over there. Mm. And I can remember being over there thinking, what have I got myself into? It ain't like we're going anywhere. So if I'm outside door <laughs> just playing and she sees me, this is going to be hell oh. to pay. Uh. Uh, that, never, that never happened. I always got kind of squirrely there. But a lot of times it was yeah. tough because his dad, Joe Stover's dad or Joey McCallum's dad, would take us to a lot of places. Mm. It was fun. Yeah. I did have that and so you weren't allowed to venture out. I, I really didn't have friends outside of school. Okay. There. There. Uh, I mean, there are some people from school that I have kind of fond memories of. Mm-hmm. I still remember their name. But it's just because we were kind of dorks together and, you know, there were some some friendly people, but for the most part, I didn't do well at range. I was, Mm -hmm. it was just, I was made fun of all the time. Yeah. And I I mean, Helen would see to it that I was dressed weird or. Helen reinforced the boys' isolation constantly, using them as a tool to manipulate her relationship with her father, which wasn't going well. Their father eventually relocated them from Margot to an apartment complex called Highland Village where he was living. But they were never far from Helen. So we would have finished out sixth grade there. Mm-hmm. I would have. Yeah. yeah. We would have finished out four. So, um, and then summer came, and you're still in that home. Summer came, and sometime during that summer of 76, we made the transition to 228. That back over to Holland, Holland Village. Village apartment number. So in Holland Village, as you were just saying, Kelly, all these numbers were I know, these numbers are confusing. In Holland Village, we had 457. Uh-huh. We moved back with Helen. We came back to Holland Village, and we went to apartment number 228. Okay. There were sections. Sections. Section four, okay. section two. Okay. Yeah. And, uh... So apparently they're separated. They're separated again. Did you see any interactions with them that were um, arguments or disagreements? Did you see anything of that? Uh, Not that I can. I just remember dad driving Mm -hmm. 
and we, we we talked about earlier about turning the gate where he's only yeah he's just coming home to get a change of clothes and repack and get back on the road. Um, but I do remember there was a point when all of a sudden delivery started happening at the house. Uh, a new organ came in. Oh yeah, a new piano. And this was bought at Townies Mall at some huge, very unique music company, instrument company that was there. Remember? Like I do remember the piano and the, the piano was on one side of that little living, formal living, and the organ was maybe up against a wall. That yeah, it was. But in the kitchen, I yes, guess? Yes, it was. So right. Did someone play instruments? Uh, Helen was going to learn. But no. Oh, okay. We learned to play when the saints go marching in sooner than she did. Is that where I learned that? Okay. Yeah. I, I knew I had yeah. always known how, but I don't know why. Didn't know why. Don't remember. They just sat there, and these were expensive. Yeah, that's expensive. Um, I think some new furniture arrived. Okay. It was, it was the kind much. of organ that you could, like, put on, like, a rhythm, like... Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, percussion section or something going. Yeah, you're gonna don't like you had a hockey match. And you could just kind of hit some of those keys to kind of play along with it. We used to just turn it to different ones so that we could hear the rhythm that was going on and figure out how we could work some magic into it. So those were days when never no one was there for whatever reason. Maybe she had gone somewhere or whatever, pick up some kids. Take I don't know what it was, but we would have some moments like that where we would sneak in there and. Use really what we weren't allowed to touch. Mm. But so you're noticing some purchasing that is going on that's unusual. So. Yeah, I I didn't really. I didn't notice. I just just remember not that I had any idea about what all these things cost. Right. I just remember the truck showing up. Uh With furniture and a truck showing up with the music goods to deliver, and uh, did she get a new LTD Brone then she, as well? I think yes, she got a brand new. I do you remember that one? Blue yes. LTD. When that was our, mm-hmm. we started formulating the nickname for Larry, Larry yes. Cattles Daily. Yes, was the LTD moment. I remember she started getting some nice diamond rings. So Dad went overboard on some of the jewelry too. Now, did the Country Squire wagon come before the That LTD? was before. Okay. Got Matter of fact, we took the Country Squire wagon probably in 73, 74, some time frame there, all the way to Padre Island. Okay. Remember that? And we would ride in the back of that bad boy because all the way in the back, it opened up mm-hmm. with little seats where we could sit back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were neat little jump seats. I, I, I do remember all of those, these new items coming along and... Uh, whether it was before we moved back to 228 or whether it was after. Mm-hmm. But at some point, yeah. there was a, a story that I need to tell you. At some point, when when Dad had absolutely no credit and he had absolutely no money and we were stranded and starving on a trucking trip with him. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly why, when he lost his cash, wherever it went, that we felt that for the next three or four days... In the Mississippi area, mm-hmm. we, we may die because we had no food to eat. And Dad was concerned about running out of gas. <laughs> Man. I mean, the, the trauma that we went through here, people. I mean, this oh, is, my yeah. goodness. But we did. We moved back to 228. To, to and your yeah. dad's driving, so y'all are 
Dad is now to the point where he is leaving cash for our older brother, Ken, to make sure we could eat. Okay. And that would typically be crossing Galloway to the Kentucky Fried Chicken that was there. Uh, And then there was a couple other fast food joints. Mm -hmm. Waterburger, I think, was one of them. Yeah, Waterburger was pretty good ways down. Yeah. Yeah. And but but see here's here's some of the greatest news of all time. Okay. When when Ken was getting older now. Yeah. Uh, and this was probably a little bit later, but eventually Ken's going to get a uh, a Grand Torino. Oh. My dad is going to buy him a car, a used car. I mean that just it just so extended our reach. Despite these extravagant gifts from their father, they still felt his absence. There were no skipping school. I, I remember asthma starting to become a bigger problem with me. Mm, yeah. And uh, Dad just, to whom it may concern, you, he was writing this letter out before he would leave, to whom it may concern, you now have my permission to treat my child. Because right. that, that hospital was literally... Two apartment complexes down, and we were in the emergency room. Yeah. And I remember that popping up really bad and taking that note. Mm. And they went, "Mm, no, I'm sorry. Could you imagine the the call to children's welfare that might take place? I know. If you're showing up as a seventh grader, well, I guess seventh graders are kind of old, but still... Um, But I remember they didn't take it. Who else can we call? And I said, well, maybe my stepmother. She lives. So they called Helen, and she came out and vouched and said, yeah, you need to treat this kid. Mm. And uh, I don't remember her ever coming back to the apartment just to make sure I got all settled Mm -hmm. in. So you were basically responsible for your medical care. Yeah. Ken was responsible for just trying to do his best to oversee us. Wow. And then uh, Dad knew that these things might pop up, and if they do, just, wow. here's a note. When they were away from Helen and their father was on the road, the boys decided to try some creative things. I would eventually get my own Dallas Times-Herald paper route. Yes. And Dad would, he would take us to, to throw those papers. But I remember always, you know, just being an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm a a thinker. Yes. And um, now I can tell you unequivocally, I've never, I'm not a serial killer. Okay. No, you're not. Uh, But I can tell you that I had a issue with a lot of cats that were in our area. And um, so... And there were a lot of cats. And, of course, I had my bike that I would ride back and forth to school, so I had some transportation to make sure I'm patrolling the areas of these apartments. And there were three or four Siamese in different apartments that would just outright attack you. I mean, I'd see them out in the road, and then they would climb their fence and get in the back, and I would just, like, open that gate and come on and say, come on in here, buddy. And then they would rip you to shreds. So I I got tired of that. Not that I shouldn't have been walking into their domain in their back patio. (laughs) But I remember thinking, you know, I could start a business. These cats, somebody needs to subsidize the city because Mm -hmm. obviously their animal control (laughs) is not getting their rounds done. So what I did was is that I would go and find any dog or any cat that I could capture, and I would grab them, uh, 
put them in one of Ken's saddlebags that he would have or whatever he would put newspapers in. If you, and I would just like, and then just kind of tie them up and hang them on my handlebar. And I bless their hearts. <laughs> Because the, the saddlebag is hitting the front tire, and it's rubbing on <laughs> But I would literally take them, and I would know what apartment number it was, and I would, I would literally, not anything professionally typed, I would just write a letter uh, from uh, animal control, whatever. I have your cat. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like your cat back, the, the fee to re-adopt your cat or get it is $43. And um, I and I would say, call this number. And it's, and it's our home number in the apartment. I mean, it wasn't after I went, she rolled it over there. Knowing that I had that cat tied up on my back patio. I don't know if I had him with like a sock in his mouth and I had him all duct taped. But he was definitely, he was, he was in custody. So I drove to that uh, that lady's house, and um, I like had some rubber bands from Ken's paper out. I took the notebook paper, put the little rubber band around it, and squeezed it in between the doorknob, and uh, left that. And I got the call. I didn't. There was no caller ID back then. Right. So I'm just answering. Hello. <laughs> Who is this? Uh, this is my. <laughs> <laughs> we need a more control. <laughs> yeah. I would have had a much better shot if I'd have answered that with animal control. But she said, Do you have my cat? And I said, Yes, I do. <laughs> I am calling the police if I don't have my cat back over here. ASAP. That you have stole. I said, No, ma'am. No, ma'am. <laughs> I found your cat running freely along the parking lot. Um, needless to say, she used such language that I thought it would probably be in my best interest to take the cat back. How much money did you make? I never made a dime on that on that that deal. But yeah, I thought it might work. Yeah, and so dad would leave on these three day three day journeys. And of course, we lived right next at two two eight, we lived right next to that water tower. And it was a long stretch of road, but it dead end. So, only people that were really ever going to go that far down next to that water tower was either the city mesquite water department, or it would have been somebody that's parking so that they can walk to their apartment right there. And uh, at this time, Dad's already bought the Torino, and uh, so this might have been early '77, mm-hmm. and uh, Ken is gone, and um, I decided that I would just go for a joyride in the in the car. So I'm cruising these apartments, probably looking for more dogs or cats, because now <laughs> I can really be able to just throw them in the back of a trunk. But uh, I remember some guy that lived near us there at 228. He saw me driving. He knew I had no business because I could barely see over the steering wheel. And he was like, you better... It had, it had power steering all that. You could turn it really easy. I remember when he told me, <laughs> I saw him yelling at me. I made a turn and immediately hopped the car. <laughs> I mean, I had the car basically on two wheels. <laughs> and I think I had my, my elbow out the window like I was doing something. <laughs> but um, we knew Dad. Dad would leave us money, and every now and then he'd buy groceries because he would go in this kitchen. I think it's, I think it's cheaper that we could eat out. And still save money. And then he would go back, well, I think we need to buy groceries and y'all can start doing some things. And Dad had this thing that he'd always tell us, when I get in, I'm going to be in, I want, I want this place picked up. Mm-hmm. 
So he had left for three days. We had had, I don't know, that would be nine or ten meals that we had cooked. <laughs> and we haven't done anything. Uh-uh. I mean, here we had this full, and uh, I don't think the AC was out, but there were a lot of flies. <laughs> I'm just saying. And uh, I'm like, well, I don't remember when Dad said he was going to be in. And we were talking, oh, we still got a few hours. Let's just keep watching what we're watching. And all of a sudden, you know, you got those air brakes on trucks. Oh, yeah. Dad hadn't gone all the way back to Irving Boulevard in Dallas to put his truck up and come back in his pickup. He had just decided, man, I just I need to take a break. I'm just going to stop and park in that long stretch mm-hmm. next to that water tower. So here we are watching this on TV, and there's flies everywhere. The house is a wreck. <laughs> and we hear this, oh. So it always reminds me of when Jesus was given the the, the parable of, of the master. And that mm-hmm. is when your master's away and you're yeah. taking care of that house, yeah. you'd better be prepared for his return. Yeah. And uh, I was just thinking at this moment, I heard that sound and I knew that we hadn't been good stewards of what was in front of us. This was a wreck. And I remember we still gave it our best. We hopped up as quick as we could. <laughs> Kid was grabbing dishes. Richard was trying to put stuff up. And Dad walked in, and man, all oh, hell broke loose. And so he said, why, why have I not told y'all to pick this place? Why am I coming home and this place is like it was? And I think it was either Ken, maybe me or Richard, and he said, all the light bulbs are out. We couldn't <laughs> see what we were doing. And Dad goes, I want some light bulbs, and I want them now. And so... <laughs> We had no light bulbs. So we, me and Richard, just ran outside to the to the house next, the door, the door here, and we would literally lick our fingers ah, and grab and unscrew. Now, what these were is like each door for an apartment had a little yeah. light out front, and they were usually yellow light bulbs. Yeah, yeah. They, they, were, they were not their typical what you would oh put in your gosh. chandelier. So we're like... Unscrewing these light bulbs. Yeah, I, I remember having a T-shirt and just kind of <laughs> dropping them. I don't remember. He told me <laughs> to carry those in like this, and so we we just went around just stealing light bulbs. And I come back in, open the door, that's going cleaning, cleaning, <laughs> <laughs> and then going. Can you imagine what he's thinking? What in God's name do you have now, Mike? And I went, oh, you said you needed some light bulbs. <laughs> he went, you mean to tell me you went out and stole light bulbs? And I said, I said, and now once again, the high five was not invented yet. And I'm like, hey, Dad, that's my awesome <laughs> Oh, he was, this was outright chaos that had broken out. And this was kind of the way it was. And I don't know if that added to the fuel of Dad just. So maybe this this yeah. go has has given up, but we weren't mm-hmm. we weren't. There were moments when we could have done better. There was there was a moment back when that air conditioning was out at two two eight that um, I had gotten one of those cats. Remember, and um, <laughs> <laughs> there was a fan that was no longer working, and so I cut the the cord. That plugged in. So I cut so the two wires were out. <laughs> and this is awful. I'm not, I, I thought it never worked, and thank God. But I, we had this cat. We were He was making all kinds of noise. I remember Dad walked in, and he went, 
Mike, are you having an asthma attack? <laughs> and I'm like, no. I have these wires out like we're going to try to shock this cat. <laughs> Man, he said, get that cat out. Those are just the things that, that we we were just, you know, mischievous. Just kids. We're just, yeah, I mean, yeah, just boys. We, we took the Kawasaki 100 with me driving and you on the back. And we made it all the way over to that Skaggs, Albertson's, Skaggs Alpha Beta, whatever it was called. Yeah, on... on Ken's motorcycle. Yeah, over on, on Motley. Motley. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Motley in Town East, the yeah. corner right there. Yeah, right there on that corner. This would have been one thirty, two in the morning. Oh, wow. You know, I do have a memory of that now. Why did we want to go there? Why did we, did we just want to go? I know, we were joyriding... Yeah. Okay. And, and we got there, and uh, sure enough, we're, we are we are on Town East, coming to Motley, and uh, the lights lit up behind us, and they they um, we pulled into that parking lot, and literally this cop, do you have a license? No. What are y'all two doing here? We we just out riding it. Um, we just figured they'd tell us to go put it up, but, but we were so far from where we were supposed to be, it's kind of hard for us to get there to put it up. Yeah. So they're like, well, well, we can't just let you you ride it back, Mr. Mike. You can't just ride that back, and you're not going to put your little brother on the back of it and go. Uh, so they were going to put us in the back of the car, have somebody come pick up that motor and impound it and take us home or whatever they were going to do to us. Uh, but, man, just at that moment, as we're sitting there going, well, what the heck, man? We're about to just get another ride in a police car. Um, another two guys, mm-hmm. two guys that were doing, one guy was, was was riding it. The other guy was sitting in the back or mm-hmm. on the back of the, with his arms around the guys. They pulled up into this Albertson's parking lot. And uh, what's going on, officer? Well, these two boys right here are out joyriding, and not only are they exceeded their curfew, they've ridden a, a street legal motorcycle uh, seven miles from their home, and uh, <laughs> and we're going to have to impound the motorcycle. And that guy goes, "Well, I tell you what, my friend behind me, he can ride, he can ride that that motorcycle home. He can give one of the boys a lift, and I'll put the other boy on mine, and we'll we'll just take them back to where they live." And this, this this mesquite police <laughs> officer who was probably two hours past his time to leave and had no desire to run, he said, okay, you oh can do it. Oh, my goodness. So Richard got on Man. one motorcycle. I had my arm around the waist of some other guy, and they took us uh, back to the apartment. And they were, I mean, I'm like, Man, this kid, these guys could have been known. Who knows what? Yeah. I know. Nice guys, so though. They were. Wow, and really nice. and even this, we intercepted the mail that had the citation in it for oh. what we had done. And uh, you don't think we still owe for that? Do you? I, I'm sure if we get pulled over mesquite, we won't be somebody with a motorcycle taking us somewhere. We're going to jail. They got themselves into enough shenanigans that their father moved them back in with Helen. And each time they returned to Margot Street, things seemed to get worse. But sometime where, probably 77, that we did move back in with Helen. And that was, that was hard because, well, because of all the reasons we talked about. But right. we had now had a, a, 
a pretty long time of right freedom, I would say, and friends and a life uh, yeah. and kind of made a name for ourselves and our, mm-hmm. you know, with our police department <laughs> and our, no, at our schools and, yeah. uh, you know, well-liked, doing well in school uh, and then to be dropped back into that. Mm-hmm. And that year, Helen would, well, she never, there was one year with the White Falcons when I was little that I did get to play. Uh, and that's really where the name Big Dick came from, because my coaches, they thought, well, you your name's Dick, people make fun of you, oh. you're a hard worker, we're going to call you Big Dick. So, anyway, uh, that's kind of where that all came from. But she wouldn't let me try out for the purple or, or do anything like that. It was just the same old record. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had had a girlfriend... Mm-hmm. in Mesquite, South Mesquite, for K.C. Carrasco. Oh, yeah. For a long time. Mm-hmm. Her and Tim McDonald, my friend, mm-hmm. and his girlfriend, Lisa Darnell, we were, like, inseparable Okay. for, I don't know, half a year or longer. And uh, so I would still want to call her. Right. She wouldn't let me. Um you know, it was just a separation mm-hmm. and a separation to another place where there was no chance of making similar mm-hmm. friends, which, right. which, and maybe that happens to a lot of, of kids. I, I get that. So that's not, that's life. But, uh, but then I was still able, I guess, cause I had gotten a little older, like Mike was before, mm-hmm. where I was able to swing some spend the night with hmm. Tim yeah. McDonald mm-hmm. uh, and Abe and Sandra on occasion. Mm-hmm. And so I had that, but that was whenever I think Dad made the room in the back <clears throat> and they decided it would be... Why it wasn't me and Mike going in there is still to my the weirdest thing to me. Uh, instead of me and Richard going in that room. Mm-hmm. Uh, still stuff with about my dad. Oh, okay. Uh, still stuff about uh, that I can't do anything, that uh, I don't know if the booger stuff continued. Uh, no, that, that, was, was, that was... That had stopped. I don't remember that ever happening. Or that. Uh, but it was... Uh, it was almost bearable. But there was still that same sense Mm -hmm. that never went away from what had happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, The unpredictability, Mm -hmm. the knowing that something's going to happen, it's Mm -hmm. just when. Okay. Uh, And then that's when the thing started really for me with, okay, you need to stay in your room while we eat. And the room was out. Right. Behind the, I mean, and then she would come say, okay, you can come eat. And then I would sit kind of in the dark in the kitchen dining area and eat beans. And then she would say, okay, now I need you to clean up the rest of the table, wash the dishes. Uh, And it was around that time, I think, 
whenever I cut my hands so bad. Uh, like I was, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just washing a, mm-hmm. a a glass or something, and the pressure built up in there, and it popped. And I mean, you still see it clearly right. today, and it just bled and bled. And I, I remember actually going to school the next day with like a a rag wrapped with like duct tape or something yeah. around my hand, uh, which was, why would you send me to school that way? But again, it was just to, nowadays CPS would have right. been involved, no doubt. Right. Uh, but anyway, it was just different type of terror and uh, but it was, it was. Things were harder there. between dad and her, though, too. And did you see any of that? Well, it's just at this time frame now, we're starting to get to where um, financial issues are starting to be a real problem. Okay. And uh, kids are getting older. Even one of Helen's own sons saw how bad the Archibald situation was getting. James had gotten to where he was literally like pulling me out of the house mm-hmm. in, a, in a friendly way. Yes. Okay. To say, will you come play Frisbee with me or will you? Okay. Like he was doing things for me. Oh, wow. To try to help me out of wow. that situation. So he saw what his mother was doing. Yes. Okay. He did. And I think he felt bad for me. And as her son, he had the power and right. authority to take my time and wow how does she respond to that she would do whatever he said wow okay and those were i appreciated that they were respites and i think to this day i think i believe james knew exactly what he was doing wow Uh, so that was good and but i I don't really remember much else about Mm -hmm. specifics around that time and I I had a paper route too uh then I did too and it was Dallas Times Herald yes so it was afternoon so you get home from school okay uh get your I guess we what do we do do we fold them and then go run it yeah what they did you you had to they would bring you what was called inserts which would be one section so you'd have to clip that and get the inserts and then you'd do the other which would be the front page and you had to put all the papers together You'd fold them and you'd either bag them mm-hmm. or you'd put rubber, rubber bands band. around them. And we had bicycles with saddlebags. Yeah. I had mine. Uh, Dad was really good, though. If he were in town on a Sunday, or even if he was in he, town, he would just say, throw them in the back of the pickup. The we, would, we would literally clear Motley over into, right across Motley into that other neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And we would throw our papers. <laughs> and yeah. I remember Dad going a little too fast. <laughs> and we're just slinging them off of one out the next because you had to make sure you were throwing it to who the subscriber right, to was. to the address. So we, we kind of knew them by heart by yeah. this time. Some people would were elderly and they'd say they wanted their paper porched. And so Dad would stop. We'd get out real quick. We'd go, but man, it would literally take what would be a 30-minute bike ride with these heavy newspapers over the saddlebags that's hitting up against your bicycle tire. You could just hear that going, as you were trying to make it. Uh, That would cut down on things significantly when we could just be tossed. I remember one, I let one go, and 
it literally landed on the guy's roof. Okay, and what they would do, it was called it was called a calling complaint. Mm. So you would get home and you would have this uh, recording. You have a complaint that was called in at ninety seventeen Point East Boulevard. Please call the person back at this number. So I remember calling them back. Yeah, hey, man, I was right. Oh, man, I didn't get my news. I said, did you check your roof? <laughs> <laughs> like he's going to get out a ladder and go get on his roof. But we had great times, Richard. Well, yeah, and that and that served as such a reprieve from yeah. from Helen because we and were like doing our own jobs. Yes. I mean, yeah. we, we rolled our papers and put them on the bike. And mm-hmm. sure, it was hard, but man, that was a breeze. Yeah. Compared to, I mean, that was like wonderful. And then collecting. Oh, yeah. I we would, used to we love would get our little meeting people. Yeah. Giving them Knock their a little, little tab. And we'd Remember the little tab yes. for month? Collecting for the Dallas Times Herald. And we was like, oh, he's paying cash. He's paying. Because we didn't realize you have to. You have, <laughs> you have <laughs> to go to 7-Eleven and get hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. You have to pay for your papers. Hot links. After, yeah. After you've collected for the end of the month, they're going to send you a bill for all the newspapers that they've delivered. And now you have to pay them. Right. And you get to keep what's left over. Right. But I'm spending the money as I'm collecting it. <laughs> And me and Richard would go make our rounds, and then we would, oh, they're paying with cash. So we would stop behind the 7-Eleven, and we would get two hot links, uh, some chips, and a soda, and we would do that every single time. And by the time we got to the end, you owe $417,000 for this paper. <laughs> hey, Dad, what's this? I don't have any money. I spend it. I work for it. You know, Mike. You, and so we learned a little bit about yeah. that, too, but those yeah, were a good time. I think most of it was pretty much covered by checks, I think. Yeah. I, but anyway. Helen was getting tired of this pattern their father had, of reappearing in the boys' lives just long enough and then vanishing again. From what they remember, he wasn't talking much to Helen at all. But Helen was really drugged. Mm. It was almost liberating. We had our papers. She was just sleeping all the time. It Mm. was kind of like the children were kind of suffering. Because all she ever really did was baby them. We we had we had we had lived life large. Yeah. We we had kidnapped cats. We had <laughs> rode motorcycles. Yeah. Uh, we had we we weren't streetwise, but we we could take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. They were absolutely defenseless. And then and were... I don't know why I was kind of liking that because I did have thoughts to when my mom was up there in that bed, right, and wouldn't get up, and right. there, here was Helen just sleeping on that. That new furniture, that couch. Yes, that's right. Just, I can remember Helen standing there in, in, at nighttime with a belt. And it wasn't like she had to say anything, or if she did, it would just be to, just so we could get this done. So she would be there, be standing. I remember her walking in and separating the beads that James would have there and have that that belt. And it would just be, drop your pants. I mean, she was just saying, you know what? You know what to do, and I know you know what to do. But I don't really want to stand here as long as I have. And I can't even tell you. I, I, don't, I don't know what the various issues were. Yeah, why? But it was just literally drop your pants. And when you get older... And you're dropping your pants, mm-hmm. uh, and especially out near those garbage cans. I mean, she would literally, as we got older, we would, like I said, we would take the trash out. And boys, don't y'all even get dressed. 
just get up and get to get the garbage out and just take it out whenever maybe some of the other people are taking it. And we're out there in our, our tidy whities you know. And just that memory will never because mm. you knew you just it just appeared. And your first sight wasn't to her, it was what she had. Mm. And that, that belt was coming. And I guess that's what she did later was just there was no rhyme or there was reason. no rhyme or reason, and, like, and this was why I was sinking a little further. Why did she came? Because I knew just from her speech that she wasn't there, really. I mean, she was cognizant enough. No, I'm just gonna get a bell. I'm just gonna go out. Maybe she's just pissed at us. I don't know. Pissed at Dad, pissed taking at it Dad. out on us. Dad, he's just driving. Yeah, he's just leaving me here with these kids. You know. Okay. Okay, so when the family was eating and that you were served later, you were served beans later, were they eating beans as well? No. So what was going on with them? What I remember is like those Chef Boyardee make your own pizza things uh-huh. had come out. And yeah. So I remember like the kids getting that. And then Mike has a better memory of that, so I'm going to let him tell it. James would go out there with the hamburger that Helen would give, or he would just go and get, and he would fry himself up. Literally, what should go between two pieces of bread, Mm -hmm. but they were just hamburger patties, just cooked up homemade. He would have two of those with nothing else. There was no vegetables. There was was a lot of ketchup Mm -hmm. and stuff that went on it. Mm -hmm. Maybe some cheese he had on top of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what he would have. Uh, Larry, his his favorite, which he would get, would be waffles. So the waffle iron would be busted out, and Helen's like pouring waffles in there for him to have waffles for supper. Um, Rich was the grilled cheese king. He loved to have the grilled cheese. Uh, so there, so she's doing all of this. So there's no wonder that we we were just getting uh, big old pans of beans to eat because she can make those and just reheat them up whenever. Wow. But 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 there was. It was just a buffet style, whatever you wanted that wow. would get cooked up. But for us, it was, I don't even remember what we had for breakfast. The only time that we had anything that we could probably put down was at lunch, at school. And that would be like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, uh, but, and you know, that that kind of explains why there was, all these things I had to wash right. at the end of the night. I right. Because apparently she used to do all this and not clean up. Kind of like some kids we know here. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, but I do remember she started giving me grapefruit for breakfast. Do you remember that I kick? Did. I do remember grapefruit. And it wasn't like we could put sugar on no, it. No, and it's it, terrible. It, you just eat the grape, eat it. Finally, Helen reached a tipping point when she found two letters in her mailbox that should never have come to her. Dad was ill. And I don't remember if he had to go to the hospital or if he had pneumonia or what happened, but he had to take off work. And he got these letters from two women. And my perception was always two waitresses at a truck stop. You know, I, I don't know, uh, but from two women. And they were get well cards. 
and they weren't your average get well cards. It's like we weren't home, as I can recall. Uh-huh. And uh, somebody called the fire department because there was smoke. So I just remember that when we got to the house, it was smoke induced, and you know they had to go in there and put the the fire out with water, you know, with fire hoses, and so it was drenched, and we had smoked clothes. You know, smell mm-hmm. of all. So there was a, the whole deal of going through that. And I just remember that, um, I remember really vividly that I understood that insurance was not going to pay for that fire because they believed that Helen did it. And I remember my, Helen and Dad having conversations about that and they weren't fights they were literally calm this is not good um you're crazy and i don't i don't remember helen saying i didn't do it i mean i don't remember her arguing it was like we had come to grips here that we're in trouble and almost to the point that I guess they couldn't pin anything, but I think there was a point where legal counsel was considered because Helen could have been in trouble, trouble, Mm -hmm. um, mainly for insurance fraud. And so I just remember that at one point, Dad telling her, I'm going to fix this. And he did. He he redid all the stairs. I just kind of barely remember that, but... But I remember him saying, this is it. You are going to have to go get your job back at the post office because you're going to need a way to make a living. And it wasn't their usual fights, you know, getting thrown out and kicking in doors and trying to kick in doors. It was calm, cool, and we are done. The unthinkable had happened. Their father had finally realized how dangerous Helen truly was. And immediately after the fire, he came up with a plan. He said, okay, you know, this is going to take place and this is going to take place, but but I I have to divorce this woman. And uh, it was the first time that I thought, okay, you have finally, after all this, um, he wasn't asking us what we thought about it or asking us what he should do. He, he was telling us. And I thought, okay, you finally get that this woman is crazy. But their father made one seemingly small mistake. He decided to also share his intentions with Helen. Dad said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving on this trip. But when I get back, I'm leaving your ass. Okay, I did not know that. She said, and he just said, when I get back, we're out of here. This, her inability to do anything anymore. Um, so that's what the, 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 the bickering back and forth was. And, and, yeah. well, I just, I remember hearing her say, well, when you get back, your kids won't be here. And that's when I walked around, not the formal living side, but the family room side to the front door, because Dad was there. Yeah. Like, he was 
And I was just like, Dad, don't leave. And then she's talking again, and I look back at her, and I'm kind of turned around facing her now, and I'm right in front of Dad between her and Helen on that couch. Uh -huh. And she's got a 357 Magnum pointed right at Dad, yeah. but for the moment it's pointed right at me. And she says it again, your kids will not be here when you get back. And he kind of gives me a slight nudge, not a push, but to push so you that away he from could, him? so that he could get out of the door without the door hitting me. And he shuts the door. And I'm looking at her. And so I came back around, not her way, but this way. And I guess you and me kind of met up right there. So let me let me tell you what I saw. Because I'm on the other side of that, not the that casual living room area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're close so to where, say, the, the guest bathroom was right there. You're now, where I'm standing, where you and Dad would be, would be blocked by me with the staircase that's right. there. Yep. So I had been hearing them just go at each other for half an hour. And uh, I knew this was kind of escalating, and I was just... It was getting uneasy just in what was the, the verbiage that was being said now. And uh, as I'm looking and I hear her say, you're, well, it was a little bit before that, something like, uh, you're not going to leave me. Uh, and I, I, that's when I saw her get up and pull that cushion up and bring that dark, black, huge 357 Magnum. I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm a gun guy now, but I wasn't then, but this, this was a big weapon. And I had no idea, Richard, that you were there. I, I, I was so focused on what she had done. And so I'm seeing her from that angle when she, when she pulls it and I see her pointing it. I think it's just that. I, I didn't hear you say anything. Hmm. But then, as you were mentioning, I do hear the door close, and I see you come to my left, right, heading toward me. And uh, we open the we literally kind of back sliding. You're right door. here. I'm right here, and we kind of there. We are. I don't know who said what to who, but it was a given. We're going out the back door. Yeah. And we went. And I remember her voice. What was she saying? Boys? Yeah. Her, uh, wasn't It wasn't like, I'm going to kill your ass. It was more like, boys, y'all come home. Y'all come on. It was, and because we went out past the, that back garage, we hopped that fence into that alley, and we just took over off the toward, trash cans. And took off toward Joe Stover's house on the on Bird, mm -hmm. and then we're going to make our way down. So we would have to come. Did, did we already talk about we're going to McCallum's? Because that's where we ended up, right? That's where we ended up. I don't think we we we, we didn't take a little time out there. We got we, out of there. We, first. we just got out of there first. Okay. There was no going back from that moment. 
The Archibald boys took shelter in a friend's home while they waited for things to cool down at Margot. But when they returned, their lives would be changed forever. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kaval the Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and that you will subscribe, download, and share this on your social media pages and with your family and friends. If you find yourself in a desperate place, it is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you and shared their stories. They have exemplified the meaning of Kaval, learning to wait during difficult times to find an eventual positive outcome. I can't express my gratitude for my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I would not be able to do this without you. For more information, please visit kavathepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.